Former Trump lawyer and indicted co-conspirator Kenneth Chesbro is in hot water this week after prosecutors uncovered a Twitter account that Chesbro used following the results of the 2020 election to advocate for Trump stealing the election. Now the Twitter account, and I'm referring to it as Twitter because it was long before the Elon Musk takeover and rebranding as X, but the Twitter account was under the username Badger Pundit. Now prosecutors had actually known that Kenneth Chesbro had this Twitter account, but he assured them he did not use it. Except of course that he used it more than 50 times following the results of the 2020 election to advocate for overturning the election. And the things he said on his Twitter account actually contradict what he told investigators. Here's a specific example on the Twitter account for Badger Pundit. He posted quote, you don't get the big picture. Trump doesn't have to get courts to declare him the winner of the vote. He just needs to convince Republican legislatures that the election was systemically rigged, but it's impossible to run it again. So they should appoint electors instead. But he told prosecutors quote, I saw no scenario where Pence could count any vote for any state because there hadn't been a court or a legislature in any state backing any of the alternative electors. So according to a law professor at New York university, the Twitter post strongly suggests Chesbro committed the crime of making false statements to investigators. His entire cooperation agreement may now fall apart. Now the investigators, prosecutors in question are in the state of Michigan, where they're in the process of going through the trial of the fake electors. Chesbro has been cooperating with them. He sat for a very lengthy uh, conversation with prosecutors back in December. And now his entire testimony is being called into question because he lied to them about that Twitter account. Now it's important to remember, you can get on Twitter and say whatever the hell you want. Okay. So him saying things that contradict what he told prosecutors is not necessarily the issue. Cause when you're on Twitter, you're not under oath. Like when I say you can say whatever, I, whatever you want, you can lie. And if Chesbro was lying on Twitter, he can't be criminally charged for that. That's not the issue that we're talking about. The issue, and, and I mentioned that by the way, cause I think a lot of people are super confused about that ever since this news came out. They're like, oh, well, yeah, obviously he lied. Yes, he lied, but it's not that he lied on Twitter and then told investigators something else. He lied to them about having the account. That's where the lying came in. That's the issue that throws his entire credibility into question and could kill the cooperation deal that he has in Michigan, along with, of course, the cooperation deal that the plea deal that he worked out with Fonnie Willis in Georgia. But here's the flip side of that. Not only is Chesbro now exposed to more potential criminal prosecution and losing his plea deal in Georgia, but it also means that whatever he's given investigators in Michigan and Georgia basically is worthless now. So yes, Chesbro is in trouble. Yes. He is likely going to face prosecution now, both in Georgia and Michigan, but at the same time, any information that he had given these prosecutors about any of the other, uh, 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 co-conspirators about any of the higher ups about Donald Trump himself, all of it gets thrown out because he is no longer trustworthy. So if they choose to use this information from Chesbro, 
the attorneys for the other defendants that the information's used against can go in there and say, look, this guy's obviously a liar. This is now well-documented. You can't trust anything he says. So unfortunately this is uh, a bit of a black eye for the prosecutions in these respective states. And that may hurt, but if they have other information from other witnesses that do corroborate what Chesbro says, they can throw out what Chesbro said and use the other witnesses. So it may not actually hurt those prosecutions, but it certainly is not a good thing for them. Chesbro, on the other hand, needs to lawyer up pretty quickly because he is definitely going to be in serious trouble for lying to these prosecutors. If you're focusing only on the results from these Republican primaries and of course the Iowa caucus that we've had, then you're not getting the full picture because just focusing on the results, it looks like, holy crap, Donald Trump is doing phenomenally well. And on paper, yeah, Donald Trump is doing phenomenally well. But what you got to do is you actually have to dig into the numbers. You have to look and see who is showing up to vote, how they're voting, what the demographics are, what groups Donald Trump is winning with. And once you do that, it paints a picture of a campaign that is nearly on life support, which I know it's a weird thing to say because Trump is winning, but he's not winning very well. But most importantly, according to an analysis of the numbers in the states where the primaries have already been held, minus Michigan from yesterday, um, Trump's base is shrinking. He is only winning with people over the age of 50, white people, no college education, which of course are groups that helped push him over the edge in previous elections. Those were his strongest groups, but even based on the analysis of what he's getting in these primaries, those groups are getting smaller. I mean, obviously if you're relying only on older people to vote for you, well, that's a demographic that they can't live forever, right? No demographic can, but that one ages out, moves on from this world and you have fewer voters. Trump has not, in spite of what he and his kids and other Republicans are telling us, he's not gaining ground with black voters. He's not gaining any ground with Hispanic voters. All of that is make believe being pushed by Republicans. I know Matt Gates recently went out there and said, oh, we're gaining ground with these groups. You're actually not, you're losing ground. Trump has less support from those two demographics this go around than he previously did. What's more important too, is that you have 20% of the voters in South Carolina and Iowa who voted for Nikki Haley saying, I'll never vote for Trump. You have 30% of the Haley voters in New Hampshire saying, I'll never vote for Trump. Trump is not gaining ground with moderates. He is not gaining ground with independents. He is in fact losing ground with those two groups. They're breaking for Haley and they admit, yeah, if Haley doesn't win, I'm not voting for that guy. Some of them have even said, I will vote for Biden if it comes down between these two groups. Trump's base is not growing. He is not appealing to anyone other than the crowd that has all of his merchandise. The people that lined up to buy those Trump shoes before they sold out, those are the people that support him. But the people who laughed at the shoes, which is most of the country, yeah, they're not going to do it. 
And here's the other part of the story, right? Because you can't talk about one guy losing ground and not talk about what's happening with Biden. Polls back in November and December showed that President Biden was losing ground with young voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, not women. Women were the ones who continuously push him to the top, which is phenomenal. Um, but he was losing ground back in November, December. Well, a couple months have passed and he's gaining ground back. So while Biden had lost a portion of his base, that portion, according to polls out this very week is coming back and growing again. So Biden's base had shrunk as well as Trump's, but Biden's is once again growing. We've actually seen that happen quite a lot. Now I know there's a lot of online people who say that, you know, Biden's policies regarding Israel and Palestine, like I will never vote for him because of that. Um, that's a very small subsection of the liberal online left, I guess we would call them. And I'm not saying I approve of Biden's policies there, but I think what happens is that you have some of these extremely online people who overestimate the importance of foreign policy. Again, I am not trying to downplay for any second what is happening. But what I am saying is that when the chips are down and Americans go to the polls, foreign policy, even during Iraq and Afghanistan and all that, and Vietnam, it did not play the role that politicians and some voters thought it would. At the end of the day, it's domestic issues that always rise to number one when November rolls around. So that, that is what we're starting to see with Biden's poll numbers. That's why they're rebounding a bit. That's why he is, according to some polls, once again, back ahead of Trump. He's ahead with the young voters, the black voters, Hispanic voters, way ahead with the women voters. And Trump is struggling to gain anyone that doesn't already own a MAGA hat. So when you look at it that way, yeah, Trump's in trouble. Biden's doing better. And if this trend continues, November could be a piece of cake. Could being the key word. Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert got even more bad news this week. I mean, pretty much every week since she has switched from the third Colorado district to the fourth, she's gotten bad news and there's more to pile on this week. According to a new survey of voters in Colorado's fourth congressional district, nearly half of them say that they will not ever vote for an individual who just moved to that district. So you got half the voters in this new survey saying, I'm not going to vote for a person that just moved here. Now, of course, the survey did not ask specifically, Lauren Boebert just moved here. Would you move? Would you vote for her because she just moved here? No, they didn't mention Boebert at all. They just said, hey, if uh, somebody from somewhere else were to move here and run for office, would you vote for him? And half the voters in the district say, God, no. Why, why would I do that? To make things even worse for Lauren Boebert, one of her Republican primary opponents just got endorsed in the last week by three different, very popular former and current Republican state senators. So her opponents are racking up the endorsements and she's left with nothing. She doesn't have the voters. They don't like her. They do see her as a carpetbagger. Uh, over half of them say that they question their, her judgment and her morals as a person. 
You add all of this up together and it sure as hell looks like Lauren Boebert is headed for a swift defeat when that June 25th primary rolls around. I, I think in the past, by the way, I had said that it was in March. I had misread that the March is the filing deadline for people to get into the race. So March is the filing deadline. The actual primary is taking place on June 25th. So she's got a few months to turn it around. But the question is, does she actually have to turn it around? Because this survey also offered up another piece of information. And according to this survey that again, half the people said, no, we're not going to vote for somebody who just moved here. Uh, Lauren Boebert is winning. She's winning in this survey. This is the only one where she has been winning, but she is currently ahead. She is double digits ahead of her closest challenger who only has 9% of the vote. So this survey shows that people don't like her. We don't like her morals. We don't trust her judgment. We don't like that. She's a carpetbagger. A majority of voters say those things. And then at the same time, like I'm gonna vote for her. this is why analyzing these polls and this data for these Republican voters can become so infuriating, right? Cause they openly say, we don't like her. We don't want her. And then in the same breath, they tell these pollsters and the survey people that yeah, I'm gonna vote for <laughs> the Republican base keeps electing the dumbest people possible because they don't even know what they want. Okay. They know they don't want a certain thing, but at the end of the day, they're like, but I kind of, I kind of do want that thing that I don't want. You know, it's like you're on a, on, on a diet and you're like, man, I really want that piece of cake, but I know I can't have the cake. Uh, but screw it. I'm going to do the cake anyway. Right. There's always tomorrow. We'll get it right next time. And that's what these voters are doing. So yes, this poll has some very bad news for Lauren Boebert. It also has the best news possible for her, which for me is very disappointing because so far every piece of information we have seen coming out of that fourth Colorado district has spelled certain doom for Lauren Boebert. And now suddenly She's atop the polls, even though the voters in the district say we're not going to vote for her. So I don't know how to square those two pieces of information, but that's the data we have. And this race is definitely still competitive, which means we could have at least another two years of having to talk about Lauren Boebert. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has asked Supreme Court Justice Juan Merchant, who will be overseeing Donald Trump's first criminal trial beginning now in less than one month. Bragg submitted a filing to Merchant this week asking for a limited gag order against Donald Trump before the trial even begins. Bragg doesn't want to waste any time. He doesn't want to wait for Donald Trump to start attacking witnesses and possibly even members of the jury. He doesn't want the jury to be tainted. So he says, judge, we have seen Trump's past behavior. We know what he does. We know how he attacks the witnesses. We know how he attacks the members of the jury, not necessarily in his trial, but he's done it in other people's trials like Roger Stone's. I need this gag order to stop this before it even starts. Here's what they put in their filing. Defendant has a long history of making public and inflammatory remarks about the participants in various judicial proceedings against him, including jurors, witnesses, lawyers, and court staff. 
Those remarks, as well as the inevitable reactions they incite from defendants' followers and allies, pose a significant and imminent threat to the orderly administration of this criminal proceeding and a substantial likelihood of causing material prejudice. So specifically, this limited gag order would prevent Donald Trump from uh, commenting on potential witnesses, prosecutors other than the district attorney, court staffers, relatives of the lawyers or staffers, or potential jurors. So Alvin Bragg's even saying, listen, I'm not even going to include myself on this. Uh, My family, sure. But he can talk all the crap he wants to about me. He can talk all the crap he wants to about you, judge. But he can't go after the witnesses. He can't go after our families. He can't go after the jurors. He can't go after the families of the witnesses. He has to keep his mouth shut about those things and the rest of the staffers in the court. I'll take the slings and arrows. Alvin Bragg says, judge, you could do the same if you want, but we've got to prevent this from happening. They then provided multiple pages of screenshots from Donald Trump's social media accounts where he went after judges and prosecutors and witnesses and all that stuff, including the potential witnesses against him in this New York trial, Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen. He is trying to taint their reputations before the criminal trial begins. And that does need to end. These are witnesses against him. It's already filed in court that these are witnesses against him. And we know that because Donald Trump's lawyers filed a motion this week to try to prevent Cohen and Daniels from being able to testify, which that's the entire case. So no, that's not going to be upheld. But Trump needs to have this gag order in place because he cannot be trusted. His followers cannot be trusted. Hell, they even mentioned in the court filing that the the defendant, Trump, and his lawyers have already admitted that, yeah, sometimes I say things and then people go out and do horrible things to the people I say things about. They mentioned the fact that Judge Arthur Ingeron had a bomb threat at his house. So Alvin Bragg's got a pretty solid case for this gag order, and it would be great to go ahead and get that out of the way before the trial begins. It could also be one of the biggest traps ever set for Donald Trump. We saw him violate the gag order in the New York fraud trial and Ingeron fined him $15,000 for doing so. But that was a civil trial. Violating a gag order in a criminal trial usually results in the defendant being held in contempt and put in lockdown. So if Trump were to, if this gag order is approved and Trump violates it in the criminal trial, there's a strong chance he could go spend a night or two in jail, perhaps a weekend. Or if he does it more than once, he could risk being imprisoned for the duration of the trial. Those are tools at the disposal of the judge. And because it's a criminal trial, they treat this far more strict than they did in the civil trial. So yes, we need the gag order and Donald Trump's lawyers need to let him know that if you violate it this time, you're going to be in an orange jumpsuit for at least a night, possibly even longer. Thanks for listening to today's Fair and Balanced Daily. Stay up to date with all of our content by finding us on YouTube at youtube.com slash fairandbalanced and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fairandbalanced. Balanced.